It's not the same. Well, well, well. Grace and peace, everyone. It is so good to be together tonight. Um, we are going to begin our time of study with a prayer as we normally do. And uh, the passages that we're going to be tackling tonight, we're going to be trying to whip through a lot of territory tonight. Right, Pastor Kurt? <laughs> and uh, we're going to know, learn more about the people of Tyre than you probably ever thought you would need to know. Um, but the people of Tyre had a problem, and that problem was pride. You ever have that problem? <laughs> right? And so uh, David also had that problem. There were moments where he was like centered in God's will, but other times where his heart was filled with pride. And that's never a good place to be. So Psalm 131, probably a psalm you've heard me uh, read uh, a lot. I just think it's just, it's short, but it's powerful to get us in this centered place again. And brothers and sisters, just to remind you, when we allow ourselves to be centered in God's word, in community together, I believe that God's spirit moves and works to bring about a real transformation in our life. And so that's what I hope that each time you come to Bible study, that you have that sense of expectation. It's been a long day, hasn't it? Everybody, it's been a long day. Pastor Kurt is barely here, just, just so you know. But he's here because this is important, right? And so uh, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Psalm 131. Our hearts are not proud, Lord. Our eyes are not haughty. We do not concern ourselves with great matters or things too wonderful for us. But we have calmed and quieted ourselves. We are like weaned children with our mothers. Like weaned children, we are content. Put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in chapter 26. I'm finding a cold tonight, so forgive me. I may not uh, have the voice, but chapter 26, we're going to talk about the Phoenicians who live in the city of Tyre and Sidon. And it's definitely like Pastor Steve said, one of those topics that we would never voluntarily come and listen to. <laughs> Nobody cared when they woke up this morning about the ancient Phoenicians. But it's one of those things that God needs us to hear tonight. We bump into this for a very good reason. God is tearing down a lot of the civilizations that exist around Israel because they're evil. Uh, they take advantage of people, they slay the innocent, they are covered in blood. But tonight is a whole different kind of beast. God is going to tear down this house, and we're going to find an evil that's not of our world. It's an evil that came from somewhere else, heaven, and has had purchase in our world. And so we've been dealing with some very bad guys, and we'll be, continue to deal with them. But they're human. Tonight, 
God shows Israel, one of your great enemies that I have told you to be wary of is actually been led uh, for a time by no less than Satan. And we accuse our enemies that of a lot sometimes, right? But in, in the course of what we'll see tonight, this really was what was going on. This pride, which we think is, uh, you know, it's good to believe in yourself. It's good to have pride. Uh, it, it is. But better to have pride in God and not pick up this sin that's beyond the earth, if you think about it. Angels are susceptible to this sin. And look at the damage it did to them. And so if we allow that to pass into our world, uh, it's an even greater danger. So let me uh, try to just to set tire on the stage for you. Um, do we have the Mediterranean map still from last week? Yeah. So in the green, you have the cities of Byblos, Sidon, and Tyre. These are the most powerful remnants of the ancient Canaanites. The Canaanites were a group of people that the Israelites encountered at the beginning of the Bible when they first entered into the Promised Land. And they had the rare distinction of being a group of people. God said, you really should eradicate them. I want them all gone. The reason for that, we've talked about ad nauseum. They practice a fertility cults where they worship the storm god and the mother goddess, ritual prostitution, and the sacrifice of children. It's horrendous. They, the Canaanites have suffered a lot. The Israelites did do a lot of damage to them, but they didn't wipe them out by any stretch of the imagination. And so really what the Canaanites did is shift to the west. They were no longer sort of a regional power near Israel, so they continued to sail in ships and push out. For as far back as we have written records, the Phoenicians have traded by ship with the other powers in the Mediterranean. They started selling cypress trees from Lebanon, from Byblos, and they are one of the first trade partners with the Egyptians. As far back as the pyramids, we find cedar logs from Byblos in Egypt. Egypt has no natural source of wood on their own, but they want boats, they want scaffolding, they want wood. So it's all coming from Byblos. These Phoenicians become very, very, very wealthy on trade. Trade is passing up from Egypt, um, into um, Asia Minor, and then over into Europe. These Phoenicians, and why we call them Phoenicians, learn how to dye cloth the color purple. And they do this from sea snails that they dive off the coast and bring up. And this is the most expensive clothing you could have in the ancient world. We debate it endlessly. Is it actually purple or is it dark red? I don't know. But the Romans sure liked it. And so they call these people that live along the coast Phoenicians. We know them as Canaanites. They are not a major military power. And so when Ezekiel brings them up tonight, everybody would have thought, who cares? The Babylonians, that's an army. That's a group of people we need to worry about. Maybe we can worry about the people around us, but nobody cares. The Phoenicians are moving, as I said, west, and look at <coughs> their look at the red. Look at their trade routes. <coughs> they control most of North Africa. It's startling. They control Spain. That's crazy. They will become through the Carthaginians, 
Carthage is America to the England that is Tyre. So little small nation, Tyre, founds a colony and it becomes huge in North Africa, the Carthaginians. And all that nasty religion that we talked about went with it. The Carthaginians just about defeat the Romans in their infancy. And if they had, the world would have been very different. The Egyptians tell us that the Phoenicians were the best sailors in the Mediterranean. And they actually sailed around Africa, all the way around to South Africa and came back. This was about 600 BC. Egyptians had no idea there was that much land. They were shocked. So they are massive seafarers, very, very wealthy, don't have much of an army, huge navy. But again, not if you were picking out the worst bad guys in the world, not one that you think would God would go after. Except for maybe looking at the religion, but chapter 26. Yeah, just remember that this, this city is kind of out in the, in the Mediterranean, away from the land. Uh, it's like a little island. And if you look at it on a map now, they, they've built it up so there's, a, there's a quite a land bridge that's across. Uh, it's, it's that close to the, to the mainland. But it's out there. It, it was a walled city. It was basically seemed impenetrable. All right, so you're starting to see how these people could become a little bit prideful. They're well protected. They're wealthy. What else do you need to have the good life? Right? And so, uh, man, they're feeling really good about themselves. If you're familiar, and we're going to be referring to uh, the book of Revelation back and forth uh, tonight because there's a lot of connection here. Um, There's a church in Laodicea. It's the last church that Jesus confronts in Revelation chapter 3. The city of Laodicea and what Jesus says about them is very, very similar to what the, what the situation in Tyre is. Life is good. But as much as I can stress, these are not just bad people. These are very, very evil people. If, if anybody had a classical education, uh, Hannibal, do you remember him? Hannibal Barca. He was a Phoenician, a Carthaginian, and he marches. He, he can't get his army up to fight Rome, so he marches it through Spain, which the Carthaginians control, takes war elephants, because the Phoenicians can buy elephants from India, takes war elephants to Switzerland, marches them through the pass, and comes north from the north into Italy. The Romans always hate elephants from then on. No matter what happens, they hate the elephants. Um, These were incredibly devious people uh, for for their day. So God starts out. On February 3rd, during the 12th year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, Tyre has rejoiced over the fall of Jerusalem saying, ha, she who controlled the rich trade routes to the east has been broken, and I am the heir. Because she has been destroyed, I will become wealthy. So what Israel did manage to do was control the trade routes in incense and copper because they were coming up through the south through Saudi Arabia. There were old trade routes that didn't run along the coast but ran up through Timnah that we've been talking about. So Israel was 
still uh, financially solvent from all the work that Solomon had done before. So, of course, Tyre is delighted that all of the land of Judah is basically uninhabited. Um, they, they rejoice again in the destruction of Israel. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am your enemy, Tyre. I will bring many nations against you, like the waves of the sea crashing against your shoreline. They will destroy the walls of Tyre and tear down its towers. I will scrape away its soil to make it barren rock. The island of Tyre will become uninhabited. It will be a place for fishermen to spread their nets. For I have spoken, says the sovereign Lord. Tyre will become the prey of many nations, and its mainland village will be destroyed by the sword. Then they will know that I am the Lord. For the sovereign Lord says, I will bring Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the king of kings from the north, against Tyre with his cavalry, chariots, and great army. First he will destroy your mainland villages. Then he will attack you by building a siege wall, constructing a ramp and raising a roof of shields against you. He will pound your walls with battering rams and demolish your towers with sledgehammers. The hooves of his cavalry will choke the city with dust, and your walls will be shaken as horse gallops through the broken gates, pulling chariots behind them. His horsemen will trample every street in the city. They will butcher your people, and your famous pillars will topple. Now, one of the things that the Bible does that no other holy writ tries even to do is to give us these prophecies. We sometimes forget that we worship, uh, relate to a God that exists outside of time. And so he does obviously know the future, the past, and everything else. So it's not a particular challenge for him to reveal these. And they're proofs for us, right? If these events come true, then we know God is, is true. How many times does the Bible say a prophet can get it wrong? Zero. You, you can't say, oh, well, almost. Um, and frankly, one of the things that brought me as a questioning young man in college to, to study Scripture intently was to look at these events in history and say, all right, did you know this was really going to happen before it happened? Or were you just guessing after the fact? Or were you just guessing, uh, period? And again and again, uh, the Bible stands up uh, to be true historically. And one of the places they love to challenge the Bible is this story in particular. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar will come uh, with his armies. And as Steve said, I think we've got a photo of a drawing of the city. There's two parts to Tyre. There's the mainland, and then there's that, which is off the coast. They've built um, massive harbors for themselves and walls on the islands itself. So it is a tough order indeed for nations of the east that don't have any navy to speak of to try to take on Tyre. But Nebuchadnezzar does it. And then some other nations, like they told us would happen here, uh, come along and uh, finish her up. So let me, for time's sake, show you a quick video that's going to recap about 400 years of history in two minutes. <laughs> so... We'll, we'll get rid of Tyre. 
city-state of Tyre. They include that Nebuchadnezzar would destroy the mainland city of Tyre, and that the debris of the city would be thrown into the water. Also, that the city would become a bare rock, and that many nations would come against Tyre. Again, there was a prophecy that the city would never be rebuilt, and that fishermen would spread their nets over the site. Amazingly, each of these predictions was completely fulfilled in history. Interestingly enough, they were not fulfilled at the same time and place, but here's how they were fulfilled. In 573 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the mainland city of Tyre after a 13-year siege. However, upon entering the city, he found that the majority of the people had fled by ship to the island city of Tyre, only about a half mile off the coast. King Nebuchadnezzar and his armies left, and the people of the island city of Tyre thought that they were safe from invaders. Then, in 332 BC, Alexander the Great came to conquer the city-state. Upon discovering the abandoned ruins of the mainland city, Alexander's men were taunted by the people on the island city who were confident that no one could ever again destroy them. This enraged Alexander, and since his navy was still far off, he ordered his men to begin constructing a causeway from the mainland to the island, using the debris from the mainland city. Thus, he fulfilled the prophecy which predicted that the debris of the city would be thrown into the water. Upon completion of the causeway, Alexander's navy arrived. He had ships from nations that he had conquered like Sidon, Eridus, Byblus, Cyprus, and many other nations who would help him in his campaign against Tyre. Again, Alexander fulfilled a prophecy that many nations would come against Tyre. The remnants of Tyre remained until it was utterly destroyed by Muslims in AD 1291 during the Crusades. At that point, the city of Tyre was turned to ruins and remains ruins to this day. Although the modern city of Tyre exists a few miles down the coast, the ancient city has never been rebuilt, thus fulfilling that prophecy. The fulfillment of another prediction can be observed today. The only thing left on the site of the original city is a small fishing village. Even today, fishermen can be seen drying their nets upon the rocks. It is the one fulfilled of those things that college professors love to attack freshman students with, that Nebuchadnezzar didn't destroy the entire city. If you read carefully, it doesn't say that Nebuchadnezzar will do it all. It says that God will do it all. So Nebuchadnezzar did do what he said and destroyed the mainland city. God would bring others along to finish it off. I don't want to get bogged down too much in it tonight other than to say Hopefully, as a reader, you get a sense that there's something really wrong here. God has dealt with other nations before, but he has not destroyed their city to never have them rebuilt. He's not destroyed it down to the ground level. There is something more going on here that he's trying to uproot than just a commercial empire. And we get into that in chapter 27. You want to take 27? Or? Nope, you got it all okay. the way. <laughs> um, chapter 27, this is the message that came to me from the Lord, son of man. Sing a funeral song for Tyre, that mighty gateway to the sea, the trading center of the world. 
Give Tyre this message from the sovereign Lord. You claim, O Tyre, to be perfect in beauty. You extend your boundaries into the sea. Your builders make you glorious. You were like a great ship built of the finest cypress tree from Sinir. So again, this the cedar that we know they've always had. They took cedar from Lebanon to make masks for you. They carved boats for you from the oaks of Bashan, which is in Syria. They made your decks of pine wood and brought you from the southern coasts of Cyprus. Then inland with ivory, your sails were made of Egyptian finest linen, and they flew as a banner above you. You stood beneath blue and purple awnings made bright with dyes from the coasts of Elisha. So again, they're building up this. You have so much wealth. You are the conduit of wealth. Like I said, they're trading the wood for ivory that the Egyptians are bringing from Africa. Uh, And again, ivory from an animal that no longer exists in the ancient Near East. The closest, the closest, I guess, would be Africa, but they can get some from India. But can you imagine some guy holding a big piece of ivory saying, yeah, there's a big giant animal in Africa, and this is, this is its horn. I mean, it, people would pay just about anything. It, it was like someone selling you a dragon head. It, it was the craziest thing. And of course, they have their, their purple, uh, which we live in a world of color. Today, it's hard for us to appreciate how vibrant and bright the color white would be. But think of somebody inventing a new color, purple. I mean, people didn't have purple clothes. You may see a purple flower or two, but purple's not that common in the world. I mean, maybe grapes and stuff like that, but um, they were incredibly wealthy. And this begins to eat at them, sort of rot them from the inside. And we're, we're not, we know they're prideful. We know uh, they'll do anything to appease, to appease their god, Baal. But let's just jump into chapter 28. Let me, uh, Kurt, just okay. real quick. So... <clears throat> So one of the things that these scriptures do in these these prophetic books especially is they they provide these uh I think the lack of a better word a prototype for the way evil works in the world that the the evil dynamics that were at work in Tyre they were at work in Greece with Alexander the Great they became at work in Rome and so just listen, I'm going to read some stuff out of the book of Revelation. Uh, Babylon in the book of Revelation just is, is an uh, archetype of all the evil in the world, right? That is being manifest at the time in the Roman Empire. And just compare the stuff that Pastor Kurt just read with this. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury, see the smoke of her burning. They will weep and mourn over her. There's the lament language, right? Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon, Rome. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. 
cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth. It's almost an exact verbatim quote from what Pastor Kurt just, went, just read. Uh, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh, and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour, of wheat and cattle, and sheep and horses, and carriages, and human, and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. And so I won't read any more for, for to, to save some time, but it, it leads us to this place that when priorities get misplaced and you get focused in on what you can accumulate, even at the expense of other human life, you are not going to last. That that framework of living and being in the world, it will collapse on itself. Just think about of all the evil empires that we have talked about in Ezekiel. We've talked about the Assyrians, the Babylonians, now the people of Tyre. The Greeks are coming, then the Romans. Are any of those kingdoms still alive, still active? And the answer is No. But the kingdom of our Lord and Christ, he will reign forever and ever. And his values do not match these values. That's why Jesus is so incensed at the Christians at Laodicea because they are falling back into these ways of living and being in the world. Right? And so they, history repeats itself. Right? And it's our job as followers of Jesus not to get caught up in that. And then there's chapter 28, which is the hardest chapter in all of Ezekiel, by far. Ah, come on, Kurt. No, this one, <laughs> this is a doozy. Everything that we sort of described that the Phoenicians were involved in, trade, uh, extending colonial empires, that in and of itself is not the problem. God doesn't have a problem with people making money. Right. Uh, he, he was glad to do it with David and, and Solomon. Um, the creation of wealth can actually help a nation to, to alleviate poverty. Uh, and, and this was rare in the ancient world because usually it was kings, very small royal courts that would be the concentration of wealth like in Egypt. So other nations that would have trade would, would sometimes change that. So we're still left even at the end of chapter 27 with this sense of what, what's going on? Why is God so driven by these these Phoenicians, these Canaanites, there's got to be something more. And then we get to really what all this is. I mean, Pastor Steve hit on it. They are gaining their wealth at the expense of human life. Sure. Either through slavery or through the sacrifice of children. They worship a god named Baal, who is the Lord, the storm god. And God, our God deals with him in chapter 28. This message came to me from the Lord, son of man. Give the prince of Tyre, uh, they use the word sar, it can be king, it can be lord, but prince is legitimate, but it, it's kind of a code phrase. The, the prince of Tyre, this message, in your great 
pride, you claimed, I am a God. And actually, the way they say this in Hebrew is really frightening. It's off-putting. They say, Elohim ani. So I am, uh, it's a very ancient uh, title for God, El, that takes us all the way back to Abraham, um, all the way back to some of the child sacrifice in the beginning. So they are very aware of sort of the, the Canaanite pantheon. I don't want to get too involved in it, but there's a father god named El, and that he has a son named Baal. And then he has a wife named Asherah, and there's another wife named Anat. But when Abraham first starts talking to God, he says, uh, just call me El. Uh, I'll, I'll give you more later, but just call me El. And so later on, the Hebrews are very careful to say, um, the God of Abraham. We think that's, that's just poetry, but they're distinguishing the El of Abraham from the El of Baal. Always there was this counterfeit religion that was trying to take the place of Israel. The, the Israelites call God Lord, Adonai. And so the Canaanites say, yeah, we call our God Lord too. He's Baal. But they're not the same. This, this being that has claimed to be a God has been working with these Canaanites since the time of Abraham is, is a really dark figure. Um, I sit on a divine throne in the heart of the sea. So we've seen the island, we've seen their wealth. But you are only a man, not a god. Though you boast that you are like a god, you regard yourself as wiser than Daniel. It's interesting they know of Daniel. And think no secret is hidden from you. With your wisdom and understanding, you have amassed great wealth, gold and silver from your treasuries. Yes, your wisdom has made you very rich, and your riches have made you very proud. So underline that. Again, it doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world, but God's trying to show pride is what led angels to fall, and pride is what opened the hearts up to these people to be in bondage to this for centuries. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you think you're as wise as a god, I will bring against you an enemy army, the terror of all the nations. They will suddenly draw their swords against your marvelous wisdom and defile your splendor. Then uh, they will bring down uh, you to the pit. The pit? Um, Sheol, the pit of death. Now this is Again, getting weird. And you will die there on your island home in the heart of the sea, pierced with many wounds. Will you then boast, I am a god, to those who kill you? To them, you will be no god, but merely a man. You will die like an outcast at the hands of the foreigner. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. All right, if we stop there, we again have a Repetition of the destruction of this nation. There is some claim, probably by their king, that he is divine, that he has power of Baal, he is a representative of Baal. But there's much more in verse 11. This further message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, weep for the king of Tyre. So we've shifted here. We have the little one of Tyre, probably the human king, and they were... They're very clear, you're not a god. But now we have the Lord of Tyre, who is, what's the word for Lord? 
Baal, Baal, the Baal of Tyre. And this is the problem. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You were the perfection of wisdom and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. What? Wow. Um, what? Who are we talking about? Yeah, we're talking about Satan. Baal, Jesus calls him Beelzebub in the New Testament. It sounds really strange and we kind of skip it and move on. But Jesus himself was making this connection. This evil fallen angel had embedded himself, acted as a god for these people that constantly were tempting Israel, constantly trying to bring them to the wealth, bring them to the power. Just give us your son. It, it, it is such a dark thing. God is unveiling a plan where he will give us his son out of love. And Satan invented a religion where you take other people's sons and you kill them for prosperity. I mean, it is a mere image of what God ever intended. So as we say, there's evil in Babylon and Assyria and, and many others, and then there is something truly demonic that was going on in Tyre that God wanted uprooted. If you'll remember back in, uh, in the, actually in the New Testament, in Ephesians, uh, towards the end of Ephesians chapter 6, um, when Paul makes this statement uh, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of this dark world. Boom. The second half of 28 is those powers and principalities that Paul is talking about. And we sort of didn't see this coming, right? We're talking about merchants and purple, and then suddenly this ball of tire. People ask us, or people ask a lot of questions about Satan. Where did he come from? Why didn't God destroy him? What is he doing here on earth? How did he revolt? We get some information in Isaiah. We get more information here, and we get a little bit in Revelation. This is probably the longest single piece that we have as to why he revolted. So we'll go through it. To a certain degree, you can tell God is not giving us maybe everything that we would want to know because our struggle is with our own evil. I mean, certainly Satan can tempt us, but God puts real limits on that. We are susceptible to it and we need to turn our back to it, but I think we would get very obsessed with it very quickly. Historically, people have. And so God, you know, like a child asking a parent, hey, tell me about sex. Mm, okay. And so you give them the basics, right? Um, God sort of does that with angels and us. He, he's going to give us the basics. He's not going to get in everything maybe we'd want to know, but just enough that we know this being is very, very dangerous. And what he has created in terms of a religion and culture is very, very dangerous and needs to, to be eradicated. But let's go through it. And this is why I think it's the hardest. Um, so we have you were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, chrysolite, white moonstone, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. So this is close to the angel descriptions that we get in Enoch 
that as much as I talk about them looking like sphinxes and serpents and all that kind of thing, it's important to keep in mind that they regularly attach them also to light. And what is the shiniest thing that they can think of here on earth? Not a sun or a star, although they make those images to angels too, but jewels. Um, so they're saying the way that you were created was to be this incredible being of light, of jewels. This also gives us a hint of the high priest's center, um, the, the chest plate. If you can remember, the high priest had, again, purple robes, and he had a, a special uh, chest plate that he wore, designed by God, and it had a jewel with the name of each one of the tribes of Israel. It was this living reminder that the high priest, like God, kept all of Israel on his heart. Um, th- there's the sense that Satan was a priest of types, of, uh, yes. of an angel. He was to be that connector um, between maybe other angels and God or maybe us and God. That was his original intent. Uh, we can connect this to what's later uh, given to us as Lucifer's name, or Satan's name is Lucifer, the illuminated one, the one of light. And this is where it probably comes from. So a lot of what we'll read later in Revelation probably has its origin here. So, they were given to you on the day you were created, um, which is not born, uh, he, is, he is made. I ordained and anointed you to be a mighty angelic guardian. So there it is. How do you know, angel, how do you know he was an angel? Well, they're telling us. God created him, he ordained him, and equipped him to be not just any angel, but he's one of the highest ranking and to not let the priestly image slip off, what we've been learning on Sunday mornings, what do priests do? They do two things. What do they do? They serve and protect, right? Judy, you get the gold star tonight. Yep. Serve and protect. And here we are. This, this, uh, this creature is a guardian, right? So very priest-like. What's going on with this guy? So there were... Um at least two angels in the garden, right? Satan, and who's the other one? Shows up later. But what did the other angel do in the garden? Remember when we were banished? There was an angel sent there to protect with a flaming sword. So if one was there protecting... What can we suppose the first one was meant to do? Serve. May have been there to try again to have this priestly image to help us, but he does exactly the opposite. He tempts us. He tempts Eve and, and Adam, and they choose, um, choose to sin. You had access to the holy mountain of God, which again is very much garden image. The, the center of the garden is a mountain, and this will play through the theme of rest of Scripture. God's dwelling place is always on the mountain of Zion. Zion. Um, it's the temple. So it's this idea both you're in the garden, but you're also in heaven. That you are allowed to be in the holy place of God. And they reinforce that with that you walked among the stones of fire. These are the coals that we have in reference to uh, the, the temple in Isaiah when the seraphim take the coals, the stones, and it's this, 
this living image that nothing impure can be in God's presence. And so they were saying the way that you were made, uh, Satan, was to be this kind of priestly function, to be angelic being. Uh, you could be in God's presence. You were, you were holy, which is bizarre to us. So again, sort of follow the narrative of how all this has gone. We were talking about a rich naval power that got really wealthy. And you've got a king who seems to be worshiping this, this fallen angel. But so far, the angel doesn't seem so bad. What the Phoenicians did didn't really seem so bad. Uh, but what, what is it that corrupted them so? Verse 15, you were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. And it's not evil as in the, the sense we would expect it raw. Um, it's evil in the sense of, again, pride. It's this, this unjustness, this rottenness. Um, Steve showed it to me today, and I was trying to do quick research on it, but it's almost like uh, something being fermented. Um, this is often used of rotten meat. Um, it, it's, it, it's something that has gone sour inside of you. They tie it to answer that question, you know, what's, what's gone sour? What's, what's happened? Your great wealth filled you with violence, and you sinned. Here is the connection to Tyre. So I banished you from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian. What does your translation say? Yeah, cherubim. Um, so one cherubim guarded the garden and one should have helped. But So you were uh, expelled from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride. Because of all of your beauty, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. And so that is sort of the kick in the gut. That pride that leads us to enslave and murder and sacrifice others is not a sin that even started here on earth. I think there's plenty of sins that we started all by our lonesome. But this one is very big, very ancient, and in a sense is uh, extraterrestrial. It came from somewhere outside of our planet. And it's what destroyed this magnificent angelic being of God's. It twisted in and made him a monster. And now it's found purchase in human hearts. That's why God wants it excised. Again, we humans can create incredible systems where other people die and we have wealth. We've done several variations of it, and I think they're all ultimately inspired, if not driven, by Satan. And so, yeah, we really do have a battle sometimes, an incredible spiritual nature, where it starts with just opening your heart up to I can be like God. I deserve more. I'm better than so-and-so. My intelligence, my army, my skin color, my politics, my feelings. You know, we humans will fill in the blank. I'm better than so-and-so. And what Ezekiel is running into is, yeah, in our past there has been a being that will whisper in your ears, oh, yes, that is very true. 
And you can become more powerful than you can ever imagine. Just dispose of the insignificant, the unborn kids, or the Jews, or the poor, or you know, the wrong skin color, whatever. And it's, it's really something terrible. Do we want to show them Isaiah now? Sure. If you haven't had enough Satan, let's talk about the other one. So we'll just get them all out. So we think it's just important to note that this stuff just doesn't drop into the middle of, of say, the book of Ezekiel. But these other writers, uh, they, they share these themes and these understandings of, of this evil power that is behind the evil actions of humans, right? And uh, so if you'll look at Isaiah chapter 14, and, and just notice the language, uh, like what we've already seen in Ezekiel, of being fallen or being thrown down, okay? Verse 12, 14, how you have fallen from heaven... Now here it's a morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost height of Mount uh, Zaphon. Um, now, Zaphon was a mountain very important to these Canaanites, uh, right? So there's making this connection. Yeah, uh, Zaphon is, yeah. is one of the great balls. Yeah. So you see, you see the similarities between there and Isaiah, and it's like we are created by God who loves us deeply and who has a purpose for us. To live in relationship with him, right? The angels, likewise, were created with the same. God loves the angels and, and uh, has a purpose for them. And yet it's this pride. Like, just like with Adam and Eve. What, what, what were the words that Satan, the serpent, used to tempt them? You will be like God. Right? That's not the place that we thrive. Our place that we thrive is in communion, in community, in partnership with God, not flying above God. One more? One more? Revelation chapter 12. Just notice the similarities. Um, Chapter 12. Oh, we'll just read, start from the beginning. A great sign appeared in heaven. Now that's a cue in the Revelation because there's all sorts of signs. So when you get a great sign, it's like, ooh, pull yourself up to the edge of your seat. This is good. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign, not a great sign this time, but another sign. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon. We were talking about this today, and, and Kurt, what, what would you say this is probably a better translation or probably what they're alluding to? Uh, ancient serpent or seraphim, the, 
the word Satan is called usually as an angel is a seraphim, which is a serpent. And so they picked that up in Greek. Yeah, so we've got, we've got seraphim. We've got Satan being imaged as cherubim, as seraphim, and uh, what else? A star uh, there in Isaiah. Yeah, morning star is, is, is really important. Yeah. All right. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars, there's a connection, out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that she might devour her child the moment he was born. Who else devours children? Ball. Yep. See that connection? Come on. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God. Then war broke out in heaven. And what, what you, when, the, when, the, when the child, which is, of course, Jesus, when the child is snatched, that is Jesus' death and resurrection all in one fell swoop, is what John is seeing there. Verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angel fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Down. Isn't it ironic that it's Satan's desire to do what? Go up. And what ends up being the result of that desire? Being cast down. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he will do what? Lift you up. There you go. Pride comes before the fall. And so it's just all of these are connected. John is riffing off Ezekiel. Isaiah and Ezekiel are riffing off of each other to make sense of this power that is behind the evil in the world. Now, it's really important to keep all this in perspective. The whole book of Ezekiel is not about this. We get three chapters, one chapter really intense about it, how dangerous this was. But there's plenty of evil in the world that humans are creating, that God has to combat. God still wants Israel and the church to focus on learning to make the right choices. That's our job. Our job is not to become ghostbusters or angel warriors or anything like that. This evil is here. It does tempt us. That's sort of the limit that God puts on its power. Uh, Again, they can tempt us in the garden to make a bad choice. But unless we give ourselves to them, um, they don't have power over us. That's why Tyre was so dangerous. Because here you had an entire civilization that had for centuries given themselves wholeheartedly to Satan. And in a sense, they were metastasizing, right? 
they were trying to spread this throughout the entire Mediterranean world. I mean, you could almost see a, an evil behind it. Uh, they don't want to uh, just conquer Israel. They, they want to spread it all over the place. Uh, lots of people have to fight them. Didn't you say that in Carthage they found a lot of... 20,000 yeah. babies had been uh, burned, sacrificed to Baal. I mean, this is just hard archaeology. They found them in Spain. They have found them in Greece. Every place that the Carthaginians or the Phoenicians would come, they would bring this evil, evil worship. Um, it, it, it had to be stopped. And, you know, it's very rare that ancient sources all agree on who they hate. Everybody hates somebody else, right? But when I read Egyptian sources, the Egyptians say, the Canaanites are the worst thing we've ever seen in my their, their life. We, we can't believe they killed them, or they killed babies. Scripture says, I can't believe they killed babies. Greek writers say, I can't believe they killed babies. Romans, who are not nice people in any stretch of the imagination, they invented crucifixion. The Romans are so disgusted with this that they will put an end to the baby sacrifice when they conquer. This is no more, they say. Uh, so really, every major group that encountered them noticed there's something wrong with you. You're not just like another Babylon or Assyria. There's something really, really off. So I do think as Christians we always have to, to keep our defenses up. I mean, we are to learn choices, learn to love, bring everybody to Christ. But there is some real darkness uh, that we need to stay away from and certainly call on God's help. We've had this running joke about, you know, God's from the south and, and trouble comes from the east. So I want to teach you the biblical side of that. Satan's hometown is Tyre. Just make that connection in your mind. T-Y-R-E. That's how they would have viewed it. Where he came from, adopted we'll say, is, um, is Tyre. I've got some photos of some coins that I bought. And you know me, I'm always trying to put together a little library uh, so we can have artifacts. Because I, I want you to no, this is real history. This isn't Star Wars. This isn't something we made up that sounds cool. This is real history. And these are coins from the time that we're talking about. Um, they're, they're Tyrian shekels. And so you have their boats on one side that they were so proud of, right? And who's on the other? It's Baal. Um, on one side, he's got a bow where he shoots a lightning bolt. We think that's Zeus that started all that. You know, I'll strike you with a lightning bolt. It was Baal before him. And then in another, he's sacrificing uh, a lion, basically, uh, overcoming nature. But I bought these, and I was so uncomfortable with them, I got rid of them. I, 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 and it's probably just superstition on my part, but I, I don't want anything of Baal in a church. I mean, I'll show you Babylonian stuff. I'll show you Assyrian stuff. They're evil people and they're whatever. But there's something different about the Phoenicians. One last postscript that remains. When Jesus goes to the temple in the New Testament, you're supposed to pay your taxes, the temple taxes, in shekels. And so the Romans didn't allow the Hebrews to mint their own coins at that time. So the Romans had denarius and, and other variations. They didn't have shekels. So some schmuck thought it was a good idea to import shekels from the only other nation that still was making them. 
Tyre. So they used coins with whose picture on them? In the temple. We usually read over that. One of the reasons Jesus loses his, his mind, I think, is because you've brought what into the temple? I mean, this is, this is a whole kind of evil. So we don't have anything <coughs> Phoenician. <clears throat> Any questions? We should have done this for Halloween. I have a lot of questions that I can't answer. How did Satan become prideful? Do angels have choices like we do? I don't know. There's parts of scripture that say no, and this certainly seems to say yes. So as I said in the beginning, there's a lot God's not telling us about some of this. But I think we've got the main points. Pride. Wealth at the expense of other people's blood mm-hmm. is, is a huge warning sign to us that um, we're, we cannot go to that place. Let's pray. Father God, we as children pray for your protection. We know we don't know the depths of which we speak, but we know the depths of your goodness. We thank you that you keep your hand and your eye on our world. And when evil thinks it has such a purchase, you pull it up like a rotten weed and throw it away. Father God, we don't understand all of the dealings before us. We really don't want to. We do know what you've called us to do, and we pray for the strength to do it tonight. We pray that you protect us from forces that we cannot protect ourselves from. And we hear your message clearly, that pride, that little seed is what caught us in the garden and has caught ancient civilizations in its trap before us. So let us learn the lesson and see the warning signs. Wealth at the expense of another's blood is a price too high. Help us, O Lord, to choose you, to love you, and to know you protect us from things we never even knew we needed to be afraid of. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.